following is a presentation of the Church of the Living God in Traverse City, Michigan. We're going to talk today about keeping the faith. We're in 2 Timothy, and I am pulling now from several different places. In fact, uh, from each of the chapters in 2 Timothy, I believe, where Paul is writing to Timothy, and he's talking about the importance of passing on that which he has been given. So I want to read these three sections, and then we're going to talk about that this morning. So the first one is from 2 Timothy 1, verses 13 to 14. What you heard from me keep as the pattern or the form of sound teaching with faith and love in Christ Jesus. Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. Next chapter, right at the beginning, he says, You then, my son, that's Timothy, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, and trust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. And then we jump to the third chapter. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it. This would include, by the way, Timothy's mother, his grandmother, and Paul. And how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching. That is, it gives you truth. It's useful for rebuking. It'll tell you when you're out of bounds. It's useful for correcting. It'll repair what's broken. And it's useful for training or forming habits in righteousness. And when we say righteousness, we're just talking about the habits of living by God's standard. And it does this so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. I should note here, I once again have tons of footnotes. There is so much to unpack from different parts in this passage that I just don't have time to do this morning. So if you picked up notes out in the mini lobby there, you'll see lots of footnotes. And if you're watching online, you can clink, click, clink, click in the link. I just shortened it. You can clink and read the notes as we go through this. So for the past three weeks, I've been coming back to this theme, and that is when God calls you to something, God equips you for something. He'll never commission you to a task that he doesn't prepare you for or give you a gift that's appropriate to that task. And so based on these three passages, I want to focus this morning on one of the ways that God equips us, and that is through his word. So when people build things, they'll use a prototype to guide them. So when Vince was little, he loved Legos. And he wanted to get all these things that we would build with Legos. And um, you may not know this about me, but I am not that creative when it comes to building things with Legos. Like I could do trees and snakes, maybe. Uh, that's about as far as I go. So we'd buy this thing and it'd be like, ooh, it's the Death Star. Like, oh. Uh, and so you get this model that comes with it. You get this instruction, and it tells you step by step, if you actually do it this way, it'll look like the thing in the front when you're done. In a more practical way, if you're familiar with uh, Scott Smith's business, J. Scott Smith Visual Design, that'll be $10, Scott, for the shout-out. One of the things he does is he builds models of things. So you'll see here on the screen two different examples, one that's a, a layout of a home. The other, I mean, I think everything on the left is just a virtual thing, right? Like none of it's real, so to speak. It's a model, like this is what it could look like when you're done, uh, it's, it's pretty phenomenal. 
And this is what Paul's talking about. If you get back into the original Greek, etc., you'll see Paul's talking about creating this model or this standard. It's this thing, and I was wishing I had like a 3D printout of something I could hold, but it's, it's this thing that is given to you, and you look at it, and you go, okay, I want to recreate that. And if I'm going to recreate that, I have right in front of me what I need to be able to do that. So Paul's telling Timothy, if you want to be a faithful teacher of the gospel, you have been given this model, a rendering is already available. You know what you're shooting for. And in fact, as you're building this, we've given you all the stuff. It's like the Lego thing. We've given you the piece-by-piece instruction on how to build that thing that you want. And so if Timothy wants to be a faithful teacher of the gospel, he's not at liberty to make things up. He's got to stick with the standard that has been given to him. I was reading a comment from one pastor this week, and he noted, I'm preaching the same message today that the Apostle Paul preached in the first century. The gospel I preach goes all the way back to the Lord Jesus Christ himself. A faithful man of God shared the gospel with me, and I was saved. If we could track it back, the trail would reach back to Christ, and we would discover that the gospel that we preach from the pages of the Bible is the identical gospel that Jesus preached. This is a tremendous succession of truth, and it lays upon us the importance of our responsibility to pass the good news, pass on the good news. I'll be honest, it, um, it humbles me and makes me nervous when I read stuff like that. <laughs> uh, there was this, this model, this pattern that was given 2,000 years ago. Jesus lived it, and then we have the message contained here in the scripture, and now for 2,000 years, people have been replicating this model, and it passes on from teacher to teacher, and you're supposed to not deviate from the model. Um, that's a lot, <laughs> right? That's a lot. You got to get it right. And as I say that, it, it doesn't mean we can't be timely or creative in what we do with these, these foundational principles that we've been given. So I was thinking, let's say Scott makes a model for a house. Let's say it was the one on the left side that had stuff outside, landscaping. I think that's what you call stuff outside. Uh, so if he's going to send that model to Florida versus Alaska... You're going to see that it's the same model, but people will use different plants because not all of them will survive in the same zone, but they're still going to follow the model. They might put a different covering on the outside of the building because it's a different climate zone. If you're going to build in Hurricane Alley, you're probably going to build off that model in a way that's appropriate to a place that has hurricanes. And if you're going to build it in Michigan, you've got to make the roofs really steep, right? So all the snow goes off. So it's the same model, it's the same, uh, the same standard, this analogy is slightly imperfect, but it's all the same stuff, but there's ways in which we creatively apply it in places that we live. Cultures change, the challenges and dilemmas that we face change, but nonetheless, we always come back to this model. This is the foundation, this is where we start. Think of the picture uh, that I had there of a 3D, I think that was supposed to be the Tower of Pisa maybe. Um, you might paint it different colors depending where you are, if you wanna think of it that way. So Timothy had received this model, and Paul says this is based on sound teaching. So sound, the word for sound, has to do with hygiene. Uh, it's another Greek word where we get our word for hygiene. It emphasizes cleanliness, as you might imagine, and it has a lot to do with habits that we form in life. So now is when I put up a creepy picture of teeth on the screen. 
So why is it that we insist that our kids brush their teeth every day? It's because we know that habits build momentum over time. That eventually, how they treat the inside of their mouth is going to catch up with them. So when we moved to Michigan 22, 3, 23 years ago, wow, and I'm still an Ohio State fan. Um, when we moved to Michigan 23 years ago, I hadn't been to a dentist in a while. And we lived here a bit before I went to a dentist. And when I went to this dentist, I had cavities fixed for about a year. Like, my mouth sets off metal detectors in airports. That's not true. I thought that might be a funny exaggeration. Um, if you would like to afterwards, you can come up to me and I will just open my mouth widely and you can see it just glistens inside. It's kind of beautiful if the sun shines on it just right. Um, but I had so many cavities, guys. And it turns out one of the key reasons was I drank a lot of coffee. That wasn't the problem. Thank you, God. The problem was I added sugar. And at that time, I drank pop, too, but it was mostly coffee. And I didn't floss. Oh, so that wasn't good dental hygiene, right? So I endured. I, I really don't like going to the dentist. Um, if I'm ever, if you ever need information from me that I don't want to give, just take me to the dentist office. I will be an open book. <laughs> and so I didn't want this to keep happening. So my dentist just said, listen, you need to practice sound principles of hygiene. It needs to be a habit in your life. So I stopped adding sugar to my coffee. I started flossing. I haven't had a cavity in probably 15 years. Thank you for that applause. This is what Paul is talking about when he's talking about, uh, okay, you've been given a pattern of foundation, and it's sound. It's hygienic. It's, it will bring you health, and it will bring you life. It will keep you clean. And there's a habit-forming aspect of it that if you embrace um, the cleansing nature of the truth that Christ brings to you, there is life that follows from that. So this is what Timothy is passing on, this habit-forming prototype. And then Paul says, do it with faith and love in Jesus Christ. So let's visit this a little bit. We talked about this before, but I just want to mention again. You need love because 1 Corinthians is 13. So 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 13 is clear. I need more coffee this morning. 1 Corinthians is 13. It's a coded message. Here's Paul, writes 1 Corinthians, writes to Timothy. He says, you need love. Paul made clear in the letter to the Corinthians why love was so important. And I, I mentioned this uh, within the last week or two that the analogy he uses that I love is just this idea that if you do things without love, it's like doing it while banging symbols together. And, and that's the idea here. He says, Timothy... You've been given this model. You've been given this prototype. It's solid. It's the foundation. It, it's sound. It will bring you life. It will cleanse you. It will heal you. But he says you, you've got to pass this on with two things, love and faith. If otherwise, I, I could stand up here all day and I could give you the most accurate representation of what's here in Scripture that you've ever heard. But if I do this without love... 
you guys might as well turn up, I don't know, jazz as loud as you can and just blanket the room with it until people just leave because it's noisy, right? If I don't bring love to this, if you don't bring love to the message you give, that's the equivalent of what we're doing. We're just throwing noise out into the world. So Paul says, Timothy, you have this foundation. It's a fantastic foundation. But one of the things you're going to need to do as you pass it on is to pass it on with love. Uh, I'm not doing a sermon this morning on what agape love is. We, we come back and revisit that multiple times a year. But basically, the self-sacrificial, the loving of others, the giving of our lives, the being broken and spilled out so that those around us can find Christ and experience the life that he has to give. Okay, so he says, Timothy, you need that. The second thing he says Timothy needs is faith. And there's lots of ways to talk about faith. Faith is many things. But in this context, as I understand what Paul's saying here, he's, he is focusing on a faith that is habit-forming, just like with the, the hygiene. And other places, Paul, yeah, in, other, in Paul's other writings, he talks about this as well. It's never something that just sticks in our head. Right? It's never something that just sticks in our heart. It sticks there. But faith without the practical expression of the works that follow from faith is what? It's, it's dead. It's not a living faith. So there's something about this practical living out of the things that we say that we believe. Jesus said in Luke chapter 6, verse 46, Why do you call me Lord and don't do what I say? Because genuine faith always results in obedience. It's habit-forming. Faith is formative. Uh, maybe think of it this way, that the content of what a teacher says is deeply intertwined with the character of the teacher. So this is the standard that Paul gives Timothy. It's the teaching and the living. And once again, other places where Paul writes, he will tell Timothy or others, look, I have not only taught you these, these things, I have tried to model what it means to live now as a follower of Jesus. So I want to talk about the teaching and the living both this morning. So in the years following Jesus' life on earth, the early church began to develop creeds. I've done entire sermons before on the creeds. This is not going to be an entire sermon. But I just want us to revisit in the Bible itself, there's four key passages that are often referred to as the first creeds of the church. It's the statements of faith that say, this is the model, just so we're all clear. And as those churches pass through the communities, it's as if the writers were saying, I want us to all be clear. This is the foundation. This is the model. This is the prototype given to us by Jesus that we are passing on throughout the rest of history. So the first one was written approximately 55 AD. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 6. Yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things and for whom we exist. And one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. Approximately the same year, well, this is still 1 Corinthians, now just chapter 15. I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the Twelve that he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. 
And then he appeared to James and then to all of the apostles. Approximately seven years later in the book of Philippians, we read, though he was in the form of God, this is referring to Jesus, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, and being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And then finally, approximately five years later, we're back in 1 Timothy. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of our religion. He, that is Jesus, was manifested in the flesh, vindicated in the spirit, seen by angels, preached among the nations, believed on in the world, and taken up into glory. From this foundation you begin to see as church history unfolds, Christians keep revisiting this and they keep clarifying, this is the foundation. This is the prototype. This is the way we understand it in such a way that we know we are passing on what was first delivered to us. I'm not gonna go through any of those creeds this morning. In my notes, there are plenty of links for you to find what those creeds are. I would just note that if you go to our church website and you read our statement of faith, our statement of faith builds, starting with Scripture, and builds on the foundational creeds from the early church, and we address things more specifically than some creeds do, as, as most churches do, frankly. But we're trying to find a way to land on the closed-hand kinds of issues that is demanded enough of us as followers of Christ while leaving some room if there's um, some differences of opinion on how to understand secondary issues in the case of our faith. So we look at this kind of model and we go, okay, this is meant to do two things. It's number one, meant to steady our hearts in an unsteady world. So the world feels really unsteady right now. What is our foundation that grounds us and steadies us in the midst of the storm? Well, it's Jesus. And it's the revelation that's been given to us to understand Jesus and to understand the faith that has been passed on to us. So at the end of the day, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. That's to him, right? That's not scripture. But it's true. Right? That's my foundation. It doesn't matter what I see happening around me. Anything else I put my hope in is going to fail me. It's going to crumble. It's going to be unsteady. There is one thing as a Christian that I believe never shakes, never shatters, never lets me down, and that is Jesus. That, that's the prototype. It's the foundation we've been given. It steadies us in an unsteady world. Secondly, I think it's meant to focus us in the midst of all the noise. So many competing voices coming at us asking for our attention, and asking to form us. And we keep going back to this as followers of Jesus. I, I want to know what this has to say about what comes up in the world. Uh, it, when I see some type of issue in culture, uh, I'm not really interested, first of all, in what all the other voices have to say, though they might add something helpful at some point. I want to know, first of all, what does the Bible say? What did Jesus teach and model? How was it then passed on? 
Those are the things that will focus my mind amidst all the noise. And then finally, it guides our steps in the path of righteousness. Bless you. So the model is useless if you don't use it, right? Um, if I got that Lego instruction for the Death Star and said, <laughs> I don't need that, we would end up with a tree, right? You need to have the model. It's the idea of faith without works is dead. Scott can make the greatest uh, representation of a building, it's another $10, that you've ever seen, but if the people who hire them to do that just scrap it, it's not going to matter, right? So when we're given a model, we have to do something with it. So I would say this, faith is many things, but it's certainly no less than the formation of habits. Have you heard this phrase before? We are what we habitually do. Yeah, if we want to know who we are, let's, let's look at what we do a lot. I mean, there's something to be said for even looking what we do in unusual moments. But generally speaking, our character and our lives are formed by our habits. How we live is inescapably intertwined with why we believe we live and for whom we have decided to live. Um, Jesus says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And I think another way to understand that is we'll keep the commandments of the things which we love. That's our habits. Those are the things that form us. So this idea that there is a connection between the content that we have in our heads and the character that forms in our heart. This isn't a new idea. It goes back to the first century. Um, we could have a whole different discussion on how for the Jewish audience in which Jesus was raised, they just, they would not have separated what you thought and believed from how you lived. To them, it was simply a package deal. Obviously, they all go together. So I've been raised in the church for um, 50 plus years now. I'm going to start saying 50 plus from here on out. And I have often heard the desire to, to have us replicate the first century church. And so this is where we're looking at the church as a model and as a prototype. If Jesus is the foundational thing that we read about in Scripture, and the writings of Scripture are the foundational prototype for what we teach, we often look at the early church, especially the first century church, as kind of a prototype as well. This is a new movement. This was the first expression of community life done together. And so, I mean, Lord knows it wasn't a perfect community. You just have to read the Bible to figure that out, right? They had their own set of difficulties. But it was intended to start something very important. It's foundational. And I think it's well and right that we look back to that. I've noticed that we often talk about two particular things when we say, I wish we could replicate the first century church. We talk about the theology, what was taught. So that's what I've been talking about so far. And then we'll often talk about what's called ecclesiology. That's just how church is done. What does it look like to meet together as a group? Um, how do we take the model that they established and apply it in a timely way? What does church authority structure look like? What should we do with services? You name it. That's ecclesiology. How do we run church? And that's usually the discussion I hear when someone says, I wish we could more closely build off the foundation of the early church. I'm not saying that's a bad desire at all. But I think there's a third part that we don't often talk about, and that is, how did the early church live? Because Paul is really clear in talking with Timothy, I passed on two things to you. I passed on my teaching and I passed on my life. There's something about what we talk about. 
and there's something about how we live. Both of those, Paul says, and I'm paraphrasing, there's prototypes that have been given to you. So you see in the early church, the church seeking to build off this prototype of what it looked like now to live their faith in the culture around them. And I just want to give you a couple quotes. Um, these all come from between 100 A.D. and I think the latest I see is 250 A.D. So uh, the first couple generations of the church, this is what the church was known for as they sought to take the foundation they were given and express it in a way that honored the foundation that they were given. And so if you've got your notes, it's on the last two pages. Otherwise, they'll be up here on the screen. The first one is from a guy named Justin Martyr. He lived approximately 100 A.D. to 165 A.D. And he says this about the first Christians. We ourselves were well conversant with war, murder, and everything evil, but all of us throughout the whole wide earth have traded in our weapons of war. Now we cultivate the fear of God justice, kindness, faith, and the expectation of the future given us through the crucified one. We who formerly treasured money and possessions more than anything else, now hand over everything we have to a treasury for all and share it with everyone who needs it. We who formerly hated and murdered one another, we now live together and we share the same table. We pray for our enemies. We try to win those who hate us. The more we are persecuted and martyred, the more do others in ever-increasing numbers become believers. St. Cyprian, who was Bishop of Carthage, he died around 258 A.D. He says this, None of us offers resistance when he is seized or avenges himself for unjust violence, although our people are numerous and plentiful. It's not lawful for us to hate and so we please God more when we render no requital for injury. We repay your hatred with kindness. From Aristides around 137 AD, it is the Christians, O emperor, who have sought and found the truth for they acknowledge God. So that would be the teaching foundation. They show love to their neighbors. They do not do to another what they would not wish to have done to themselves. They speak gently to those who oppress them, and in this way they make them their friends. It has become their passion to do good to their enemies. This, O emperor, is the rule of life of the Christians, and this is the manner of life. From the Didache, which is also known as the Teachings of the Twelve Apostles, it was a document written for the first church. This is 80 to 90 A.D., so very early on. The Didache notes this. This is the way of life. First, thou shalt love the God who made thee. Secondly, thy neighbor as thyself. In all things whatsoever thou wouldst not should happen to thee, do not thou to another. So they were speaking King James back in the first century already. The teaching of these words is this. Bless those who curse you and pray for your enemies and fast on behalf of those who persecute you. For what thanks will be due to you if you love only those who love you? Do not the Gentiles also do the same, but love ye those who hate you, and ye shall not have an enemy. And then finally, from a writing called the Epistle of Diognetes, I think I said that right, this is around A.D. 130. This is my final quote. This is a description of the Christians. 
They dwell in their own countries, but simply as sojourners. As citizens, they share in all things with others, and yet they endure all things as if foreigners. Every foreign land is to them as their native country, and every land of their birth is as a land of strangers. They marry as do all others, and they beget children, but they do not destroy their offspring. They have a common table, but not a common bed. They are in the flesh, but they do not live after the flesh. They pass their days on earth, but they are citizens of heaven. They obey the prescribed laws and at the same time surpass the laws by their lives. They love all men and are persecuted by all. They are unknown and condemned. They are put to death and restored to life. They are poor, yet they make many rich. I have to pause there and give this kind of funny quote. Uh, when Tim Keller writes about the first century church, he notes, the early church was strikingly different from the culture around it in this way. The pagan society was stingy with its money and promiscuous with its body. The pagan gave nobody their money and practically gave everybody their body. And the Christians came along and gave practically nobody their body and gave practically everybody their money. All right, so where were we? They are poor and yet make many rich. They are in lack of all things, and yet they abound in all. They are dishonored, and yet in their very dishonor they are glorified. They are evil spoken of, and yet are justified. They are reviled, and they bless. They're insulted, and they repay the insult with honor. They do good, even though they're punished as evildoers. And when punished, they rejoice as if quickened into life. They're assailed by the Jews as foreigners and persecuted by the Greeks, and yet those who hate them are unable to assign any reason for their hatred. To sum it up all in one word, what the soul is to the body, that are Christians in the world. Boy, I love that line. What the soul is to the body, that are Christians in the world. So we're passing something on. Right? We pass things on through our words and through the proper representation of the gospel that has been given to us. as a crucial part of what we pass on to our kids, to our grandkids, to our communities. But we're also passing on the testimony of our lives. People get to watch us, and they get to see the impact that the gospel has in changing our lives. And as I was thinking about this week and reading these passages that Paul gave to Timothy, it just struck me. This is, once again, this incredible opportunity and an incredible responsibility. One is, and let's do the responsibility first. It, it's a lot. When we become followers of Christ, um, we take up this mantle that says, all right, I'm going to commit myself to passing on your word based on the prototype that was given and, and I'm going to commit myself to ordering my life in such a way that I also represent Christ from the prototype that was given, which is Jesus primarily. But then I, I think you see early on in the church the very specific application of this. So that's a big responsibility. Uh, but the second thing is the opportunity. And I just think it's really cool. <laughs> the opportunity we have, we get to speak about the foundational truths of Scripture. I mean, it's such a privilege, and we live in a country where we can do it freely. And then we get the opportunity of letting the testimony of our lives highlight the transformative power of Christ and his word. 
So it sobers me, but it excites me. The responsibility and the opportunity. My prayer this morning is that God gives us all the strength and the clarity and the wisdom to do this well. Lord, I am grateful that you're a God who has revealed himself to us. I'm grateful that you have given us the revelation that lets us see it clearly, that you've given us the foundation. And while we know this is all centered in Jesus, the teaching and the life of Jesus is the ultimate expression, the ultimate rock on which we stand. As, as we look back at how you have been faithful throughout history in transforming your people, may we carry on the legacy through our words and our lives, not for our sake, Lord, and not for our reputation, not so that we are known, but so that the reality of Christ in us, the hope of glory, is real to everyone around us. May your presence be unmistakable, Lord. Increase as we decrease, even as our faith abounds. Pray this in your name, Lord. Amen. This has been a presentation of the Church of the Living God. For more information, please visit us at clgonline.org.